think you've created plenty of margin to be able to do whatever God may ask you to do, and then all of a sudden you realize you're going to go beyond your, your wildest imaginations. Even your expectations as to how far you will give of yourself to others is unexpected. We're going to talk about a group of people today that they fell in love with Jesus. They began to see the needs around them. Their limitations, their margins were small, but then they expanded them greatly and they became a generous people. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and, and I, I'm going to imagine that here for a moment, you're going to see that the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter is doing something that's probably dangerous to do for any of us here in this room, and that is to inspire a group of people towards something by comparing them to another group of people. I mean, it wouldn't be very fair if I came to you to challenge you to step up to do something radical in your faith journey by saying, well, you should look over at this other person. They're doing it. Why are you not doing it? You probably wouldn't like that too much if I did that with you. But yet, Paul wrote to an entire church and said, church, I'm telling you, you should be generous And to inspire you towards generosity, let me compare you to your Macedonian brothers and sisters. I wonder how they received it. So I want to read some some verses here, just the first five, and then we're going to take a break kind of in the middle of this, and then we'll come back to it. But in the first five verses, the context is that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's about to commend a different church before them to inspire them to the place that he desires them to go. So look at verse 1. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. <laughs> so he starts off and says, I want you to know about the grace given you. No, not you. The grace given to the Macedonian church, in the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. In fact, they urgently pleaded with us For the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord. And then by the will of God also to us. Let me stop there. So you have this group of people that that he's commending before a different church. And he says that this other church, the Macedonian believers, their context was they were suffering in a severe trial. And and he says that it was an intensely difficult season for the Macedonian church. And and different scholars have tried to uh, research why it might have been uniquely intense for the church of Macedonia. And it's pretty much uh, correlated to the idea that in Macedonia at this time in the history of the church, they were actually under severe persecution for their faith. And And what was being done there was that they were losing their places of employment. They were losing their jobs because of their faith. So their income 
was being withheld or being shut off because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the context. So you have this group of people, they're living out loud for Jesus. Then as a result, they lose their income and they go into deep poverty as it says there in verse 2. They go into deep poverty and then it says they gave beyond their ability to give. So contrasted to this extreme style they, uh, or this season of life, they are now giving beyond what is expected. In fact, they begged in the text. It literally says they begged for the opportunity to bless others. And they did so with enthusiasm. Does that even ring any kind of correlated story here in America? Do you know of anybody, anybody around us that would beg to actually have the opportunity to be generous? But yet, people who had likely lost their jobs because of their faith, who are impoverished and are being persecuted, are begging to give generously. When I was trying to think through, do I have any examples in my life where I've seen this done before me, where I would know that somebody was being generous beyond their capacity, even in the midst of a great season? And I could only come up with one person in my life where I saw generosity displayed beyond any time, any other uh, example I have where they did so in the midst of their own serious season. And it was this man named Ron. Ron had just had his legs amputated due to diabetes. He had his kidneys taken out because of diabetes. He was going blind because of diabetes. He was losing his body and he was on missionary support and his support was dwindling because at that time in that part of the country, his support was coming from farmers. And in the 1970s and early 80s, farming in Kansas was basically going under. And yet I watched Ron have people regularly come to his house that were struggling and in need, and he would come and he would feed them. Often entire families would come to his table and he would take care of their needs. And I was often there because he was a co-worker of my father's and, and, I, and he was also, his wife was also my Bible quizzing coach. And so we were at their house regularly for those quiz practices. And there would always be different people at the table. And I watched as some of those people went out the door and he would hand them money. So he is going through his body being cut away due to an illness and disease. He is struggling financially, yet he was pouring out into the lives of other people. Now, I don't know that I was ever able to hear him pray to say he was begging God for the opportunity to do this. But certainly, if there was anybody I ever saw that was struggling to make ends meet and yet continued a very generous lifestyle, it was wrong. How can this possibly happen in a person's life other than there was something going on inside of Ron's life where it was greater than him and it was an act 
of grace. It was this grace of God that was at work in his life that was then becoming an outflow of generosity for other people. So what the Lord loves, he loved. And when the Lord wanted to be generous to somebody, Ron was right there. And I'm talking about when God wanted to be generous to somebody, Ron was right there, available to be generous. When I look at this text and I see how it kind of flowed, you know, you have this Macedonian church that's on display for their generosity. Look what it says at the end of verse 5. It says that, and, and they exceeded our expectations and they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, also to us. It's the pattern we're talking about. Is that when you fall in love with Jesus, if you get near to his heart, then what's upon his heart becomes upon your heart. And this Macedonian church was not infatuated with their own season of difficulty. They were infatuated with their love for Jesus. And so therefore, out of the overflow of what God was doing in their life, they began to pour it out upon other people. So rhetorically speaking, I ask myself, then why would anyone, anyone outside of the work of God in their lives ever give like this beyond any expectation? And then I also think, then how is it that you could ever get to a place, I can't even fathom on my own life, ever coming to a place of begging God for the opportunity to be generous? If there's ever a way to flunk a spiritual gifts test, I've done it. There are such things that you can take these tests to, there's all the spiritual gifts listed in scripture and you can take these tests to find out kind of what your spiritual gift is. And there are always two things on that spiritual gift test that I basically flunk on. Mercy and giving. And it's always one of the most discouraging things because I've worked very hard to honor God with that in my life, but it's always a work of God to get there. It is truly when I am being more generous or giving, I, it is a work of God. Or if I'm acting merciful, people will say, you're, you're very merciful when, when you're interacting with me and so on. And when things are done wrong against me, I do operate on mercy, but it's not because that's me. It's because of the work of God in me. But inside, I can tell you, if you could see what's going on, you would not see mercy. It's a journey, a work of God. And so when I see this, it's like that's a threshold that I see as being almost unachievable in my life. To actually come to a place where generosity is so much upon my heart that I beg for the opportunity for it. But I look at this and I'm inspired by it. I want to have that kind of margin in my life where there's freedom to just to go forward and be generous, even if there isn't freedom, to maybe painfully be generous. I'm going to invite to the stage a man named Charlie Keller. Many of you know him. And uh, Charlie, why don't you come on up here? And the reason why I'm having Charlie come up here is because as he and I built a, a friendship over the last few years, uh, when you sit down with somebody and you begin to talk your heart, you begin to know what's really, what makes them tick, and what is important to them. And, and a couple years ago, he began to tell me about some things that was going on in his life about generosity, I mean, just talking conceptually about it. 
And as a result, it led to other conversations that I began to realize generosity is something that is deeply upon his heart. And so when I was preparing to teach, I was like, I really am the last person that should be saying anything. I, I mean, I'm learning to be generous, but I would not classify myself as generous. And then you also got this weird tension in Scripture. It says, Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, don't proclaim your gifts so that you get the praise of men. So, disclaimer. I can tell you that generosity is upon Charlie's heart. And I could possibly tell you that I've observed that generosity happening in his life. But I do not want to rob him, if you will, of the praise from God and by getting praise from men. So I am merely having him up here to share from his heart the journey of what generosity has done in his life. And so with that, Charlie, I've got some questions I'm going to ask you. And by the way, this is not something he finds exciting to do. <laughs> you were preaching so good. I, I could just go sit down. <clears throat> so uh, obviously what was going on two years ago wasn't the start of generosity in your life. That was something that had been going on in your life for a while. So there's a story there. Would you just kind of unpack for us the story of how generosity became something that was first and foremost in your heart? Yeah. I have to go back pretty far. The, the seeds of generosity were planted when I was really young. Um, I would say they were, um, as a child, I was both taught and I also caught a vision of generosity. So first of all, I, I was taught generosity and the principle of tithing from my parents. When I was really, uh, when I had my first job, which was maybe late middle school years, and, like back uh, in the 40s, 30s? Not quite that far. Not quite that far. <laughs> he occasionally reminds me of this. Um, uh, but, Sorry. <laughs> no, I, we're, we're starting to act like we're in your living room I know, right now. I know. I know. Well, how we typically would do it. <laughs> but it was interesting not only to be taught that, and it just became part of how we did things, but also the caught part. And I, I really would acknowledge the um, influence my dad had on my life in this way. There's two things I'll just point out. One, I remember him um, most Saturday evenings going to his roll-top desk, sliding that up, and sitting there and very intentionally preparing his giving for the next day. And other people do that, but I just saw the intentionality, the purpose full way he was doing that. It was not random, and it caught my attention. Uh, the other thing was uh, something that he exhibited in his life and still does to this day. We're still blessed to have him, uh, is just generosity that pours out um, towards other people. Um, years ago, there was a type of evangelism called random acts of kindness. Uh, I grew up watching my dad just do random acts of kindness as part of everyday life. And um, they weren't always big things. Sometimes they're very small. But uh, it caught my attention. How does he, first of all, how does he see those needs and then always just respond? And that picture um, has just embedded in me as some seeds of generosity. Then there was a couple of other things along life's journey Somewhere in my 20s, um, I started just becoming fascinated by what God's Word says about money. I, 
I didn't know the Bible taught so much about finances and money and saving and giving and all those things and started really delving into the scriptures and, and looking at what God's Word says about finances. And there's depth there. There's so much in God's Word. And so that further uh, kind of watered those seeds of generosity. And when Colleen and I got married somewhere in that stretch of my 20s, way back then, <laughs> uh, we committed that right out of the blocks, we're going to tithe, we will not compromise on that. And because of some of these things I was reading, that it really felt like God was saying, if you can do more, you should do more. And so that just became part of the journey we were on, and we followed that faithfully. And then up, I'll bring you up to about four or five years ago, and I would say by that point we had increased our giving where we were giving very generously out of our income. But sometimes little seeds of complacency uh, fit into those spots, those times. And I started to wrestle with another question that I think God put on my heart. And he was saying, okay, you're faithful with the income part. What about the things you already have? What about the things I've already blessed you with? And that started us on another journey and really kind of deepened us in this, in this path of generosity of just pursuing the reality of saying, God, I'm, I'm going to try to live with an open hand. Uh, where things that I would have said, well, these are, these are mine or these are ours. No, they're yours and we happen to be using them. And that started a, a process for us where after some discerning, just to give you one example, we, um, we were living in our dream house. It was a large house, a nice property. And we started to wrestle with, is, is this God's? And uh, as we talked about that and uh, decided, yes, it was, we went through some steps to say, if we sold this, it would create immediate margin that we could use for generosity, but it would also create ongoing margin. And so that was a process we went through and was impactful for us. So you and I have talked often, again, since, uh, especially in the last few months, as we're partnering together on, along with Colleen, uh, in leading a team called Fund the Vision uh, team. And uh, so we've had a lot of conversations in this area and arena, and you're also, career-wise, a financial planner. And so you have your own personal journey, but you've also walked alongside of a lot of people uh, in their own financial journeys. And so you're keenly aware of good things and not-so-good things as far as uh, how people handle the money uh, side of their lives. What have you seen are common barriers to somebody being able to join in this journey called generosity? Yeah, that's a good question. We could go on for hour, hours about that. But uh, if we're just talking about that, uh, there's a couple of things that jump out to me. One is uh, relative to what Pastor Nick preached last Sunday is if there's lack of margin, there just is not the opportunity for generosity. And lack of margin... Uh, it's easy to get into that spot where there is no lack of margin, but there are ways to get out of it also. 
And I think one of the ways that can just impact lack of margin is reprioritizing where our money goes. So the cultural model would say you spend, and then if there's some left, you save. If there's some left, you give. And the way God directs us, I think, is to take those and completely flip them upside down, where first you give, then save, even if that's a minuscule amount. Give, then save, then spend. If that model is followed, there is margin. And so that would be the first thing that I see as a barrier, is just lack of margin. Second thing, um, I feel like we're not completely aware of what God's Word says about money. It's so clear, but we don't talk about it a lot. And I think it would be good for all of us just to delve into God's Word and see what He says. It's the passage in Malachi 3 where God clearly says, uh, you're robbing me. And the people say, we're robbing you. And He says, yeah, you're not bringing the full tithe and offering. And how harsh that must feel to have God say, hey, you're robbing me. But that's in Malachi 3. 1 Timothy 6 talks about those who have extra resources. Uh, there's a clear command to give and to give beyond the norm. Uh, it, it's, it's not a scripture that you have to say, well, I better check out the Greek and interpret this. It's pretty black and white. It's clear. And so just knowing what God's Word tells us about how we handle our money, uh, that knowledge. It's, it's sometimes a missing piece. Okay. The last thing that I'll mention as a barrier to generosity is materialism. Um, this is a, a sneaky disease that uh, hits most of us in some way, shape, or form. And materialism is like a whole spectrum. There's... Um, Shoes. Uh, Shoes. Yeah. This might be people the make fun of me because I like shoes, so I, I just threw myself under the bus, that's yeah. all. This might be the first time my <laughs> shoes are as cool as yours this morning. But anyway, materialism is a whole broad spectrum that is anywhere from that person that just uh, is constantly indulging themselves in, in uh, needing to buy everything they want, everything they possibly could want, but there's a different end of the spectrum that I think is still materialism. And this is the one that creeps into our lives more quickly. And that is where we get to a point where we're trusting the gifts and the resources of the giver instead of trusting the giver himself. Mm -hmm. I think it's a form of materialism that's sneaky, that subtly sneaks into our lives. And uh, that just becomes a barrier. Okay, that's pretty profound what you just said there. Can you unpack Give us like an example of how that might look. I think it's going to be different for everyone, but whether that's your home or your business or your 401k or whatever resource you've been blessed with in your life, your income, uh, and you start looking at that as where you put your confidence and where you okay. put your trust. Now you're not trusting the giver of those resources. You're trusting the resource themselves. So Makes it's sense. a subtle form of materialism that's dangerous. Yeah. And by the way, over the years, I'm convinced the only antidote for materialism, there's two, contentment and generosity. I, I have not seen another antidote that works to cure that ill. 
contentment, and generosity. So uh, you mentioned the passage in Malachi chapter 3 where God says, you know, you're robbing me. And there was a point be 15 years ago now that my wife and I were hit very hard with that passage and realizing we were robbing God. And uh, we had to go on a seven-year journey to create the margin and and, uh, slowly but surely start being able to tithe. And then once we got to tithing, to go beyond. And, And that was a long journey, but it took a man named Jim speaking that into my life and saying, you know, he didn't even know our finances, but he was a financial planner and he just said some things that really convicted us. And then a man named Frank, who then gave us some pathways by which we could make a seven-year plan, which leads me to this next question. Uh, many in here could be, right now, being convicted and, or inspired, one or the other, to want to go towards generosity. And, and it was really helpful for Krista and I to have some pathways, some, some bridges towards being able to get to that place. So do you want to speak into that here um, at this time? There's like just some natural bridges towards generosity. Um, Some things I'll state. Obviously, the first one is having margins. So it's the opposite of a barrier. It's just just being committed to always having margin um, to the best of your ability. That's that's kind of easy, quick, and on the surface. The other two uh, kind of stepping stones on on the path of generosity and these are journeys, uh, they don't just happen, but uh, the first would be, uh, I mentioned before, living life with an open hand. Uh, are the resources that you've been, been blessed with, are we living with an open hand? Are we saying, God, this, this really is yours? Mm-hmm. It's easy to say God owns it all, but to say God owns it all with, and still have my hand like this. So I think just getting to the core of uh, does, does God really own it all? And if so, um, am I living life open-handed? And am I willing to go where he wants me to go in a journey of generosity? The, the last thing I'll mention related to that, and perhaps the most important, and this is a goal I'm still striving for, and that's where generosity becomes an unstoppable act of worship to an incredibly generous God, a God who's the epitome of generosity for spiritual things, for grace and mercy and atonement of sins and all the things he does for us, the gift of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but then layer on top of that what he adds to our physical lives. Uh, He is the definition of generosity. And if we can truly grasp that is the God we serve. How can I not want to emulate him? You had some final thoughts you wanted to make sure and share. Um, yeah. Um, challenge the LEFC. Dive into God's word and test the things you're hearing this morning. We should do that every Sunday, but especially this morning, I feel more weight of that because I'm sitting here talking with you. Dive into God's word see what he says about these issues, um, you, you, will, you will find much that he has to say. Test these things. And then go into a season of going before God and saying, what, what is it you have for me? What is the journey you want me to go on in this area of giving and generosity? And the last thing, 
Um, Tony, you mentioned it before, but there may be some individuals saying, well, we're, we're in this creating space, expecting harvest. This sermon's probably about that, or this discussion's probably about that. I hope not. I know it's not my heart, and I know it's not yours, because we've talked about this. But rather, could generosity become part of the permanent DNA of this church? Mm -hmm. Could this church be known for its generosity? Could this church be talked about for generations down the road like the church of Macedonia was talked about? I believe the answer is yes. And if that is the case, we will even more effectively love God, love people, live truth, and proclaim Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. Would you guys uh, say thank you by applauding for him, please? It's a dangerous thing to come up and share that. I mean, it was very conflicting because Jesus confronted very, very clearly those that were trying to receive the praise of men uh, by making their gifts be known to others. And, and so uh, it's, it's difficult. We wanted, I, I've been challenged by some of our conversations, and I wanted you to hear some of the things that's been challenging to me uh, from, from Charlie. And when you get back, in, we're going to go back into this text because I think there's something uh, pretty special as to how Paul ends his challenge, if you will, that's a direct contrast between Macedonia and the church in Corinth. So in verse 6, he says this, So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love, we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. I think that, that Paul has masterfully woven through this little portion of verses that generosity is not a work of a human spirit. If left to our human spirit, we would be materialistic. We would be building our own kingdoms here on this earth and not considering anything that might be for God's kingdom. Uh, that's just the natural human uh, plight. And, and I would say, of which I am king of it all in being very human on this issue. But great generosity when it actually happens out of a person's life, out of the overflow of God's work, it truly is a work of grace. Where we haven't earned anything to have gotten to this place where God did that kind of work. It was a work of God in us, in spite of ourselves, to want us to be caused to want to give generously. This is not something that, again, would be birthed out of a human desire, but rather out of a divine work. 
Therefore, it is grace. You will see that in verse 1, it says that, that, that this work that was done in the Macedonians was the grace that God had given them. And then when appealing in verse 6, when appealing to the church in Corinth, they had already said they were going to be generous, but they hadn't done it yet. And so he is charging them to then do and be generous as an act of grace on their part. That's how he ends verse 6, as it, that it will be an act of grace on your part. Because again, think about it. If it's a work of God that creates the desire to be generous, then when you actually become generous, then you are providing grace to another. You're, you're sending grace forward because usually you're giving something to somebody else that has done nothing to deserve that from you. Is that not true? I mean, that's where generosity comes from. I mean, every person I can think of that sat at Ron's table had done nothing to deserve Ron's generosity. It was merely a work of grace that had been given to Ron that then Ron gave to them. And then when you see how he concludes this, that, that he says, this isn't something that I require of you. Verse 8, this is not a requirement, but it is a test. It's not a requirement, but it is a test. And what's it a test of? Their earnestness, the reality that has God really been transforming your life? Are you seeing a change? Again, look at, let's reread verse 8. I am not commanding you, so therefore it's not a charge, it's not a command, it's not a rule. But I want to test the sincerity of your love. Because if you truly love Jesus, then... The love of Jesus is going to be upon you. So what's upon his heart becomes upon your heart. And as a result, you become generous like him. And then he specifically ties it to Jesus in verse 9. When he says this, he says, For you know that by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he, was, he had all the riches of heaven, available to him. Yet for our sake, he became poor. He became a man. He walked on this earth. He did not have his own home. He did not have his own pillow. He lived a vagabond lifestyle here on this earth so that you and I could become rich. It's a work of grace. Wearsby makes this statement. When a church is not spiritual, it is not generous. Or you could flip it and say, when a church is spiritual, it will be generous. What Wearsby's making a point is, is that if God is moving in the midst of a church and his spirit is upon that church, it will naturally have a byproduct or an outflow of generosity. Which then ties back again to that verse 9. So we become generous people because we were given the example of Jesus Christ who emptied himself of his riches that he might, make, might generously make you and I rich in spirit and in life so that by his generosity, you and I can pay it forward to other people. You see, no matter where we're at, now I love the fact he brings up Macedonia as the example because they were bankrupt. They had lost their jobs. They were poor. Yet they were the model of generosity and had given beyond expectation 
and had begged for the opportunity to be generous. So Paul's charge to the church in Corinth is Jesus bankrupted himself, if you will, so that he could take all that he had and give it to you and I. So it sits with us. All this grace has been given you and I. Now what? Are we just receivers? Or are we conduits? We where we receive and we keep sending it on. Paul's charge is beautiful and intense. When I think of the standard that he's charging us towards, begging for the opportunity to be generous. I stand here saying, Boyd has got to have a lot of work to do in me. And my guess is he has a lot of work to do in you and I together. Would you consider how we've looked at these past few weeks where love is the guiding factor where we are so in love with Jesus that what's upon his heart becomes upon our heart, which is love for others. And then when we get that place that we will consider it's like, do we have the time then to actually live out what God is stirring in my heart? And then, <laughs> and then, can we out of that, can we out of that then be generous? When we create margin, it's not just about giving, it's about generosity where it's like nothing that I have at my hand, in my hands is withheld from God but rather it's open-handed and given to God to be used in other people's lives. Let's pray. So God, I know that this is no simple subject. I recognize, Lord, that, that I am the king of not being generous, historically speaking. And you've been doing a work in me. <laughs> and I'm improving in there, but I'm not at the place where I'm begging for the opportunity, and I recognize that, God. But I've been given so much, and so have all of us here in this room. God, I pray that your, our love for you will be intensified, and that as a result, our, what you love will be upon our hearts. So God, we just ask that you will do a new and fresh work in us where the overflow of your work, your grace, will become grace from us to others. To the glory of Jesus Christ, who paid the most. In his name I pray, amen. I personally find it extremely appropriate that as we have just talked about the work of Christ being grace, that now we get to go to communion. To say with a gracious attitude and spirit uh, that says, thank you, Jesus, for doing that which I didn't deserve by going to the cross, emptying yourself of all your heavenly rights so that you could then Make us heirs of the kingdom of heaven. We're blessed. So we're going to go to this table with a different spirit today. Acknowledging that it's a generous table. 
and that it's also our charge to pay it forward.